Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to Yeah But It's Not As Simple As That, a sunny, good time podcast from Vice. We're in Shoreditch, it's one of the hottest days of the year. There's lots of people around having cans of Diet Coke, lots of terrible street art on the walls. urinating, spitting, throwing litter and dogs without lead. Essentially, we're, we're saying that somebody could be criminalised for sitting down in a public place. Sometimes it is misused, but I think this could actually be the best use of it since it's come out. So have you ever heard of a PSPO? They're kind of like ASBOs, which you probably remember, but no one really knows about them. And unlike ASBOs, they apply to everyone, not just an individual. 
PSPOs are created by councils and they're kind of intended to stop specific things. Things that wouldn't otherwise be a criminal offence. It can be stuff like spitting in the street, drinking alcohol in an open container, begging is a big one. And in fact, right now, me and Sam Bonham sitting out here making a podcast, if we were in Hillingdon in West London, we would be breaking a PSPO and we could be moved on by officers or even fined. If you check out the government website, it says that PSPOs are first, activities carried on in a public place within the authorities area which have had a detrimental effect on the quality of life of those in the locality. And second, it's likely that the activities will be carried on in a public place within that area and they will have such an effect. So let's just think about what that means. It means that councils can criminalise non-criminal activities. It means that authorities can target the homeless just for being on the street. It means that an individual council can stop the right to protest. Now, to make a law in this country is purposefully difficult. It can take years, it involves a lot of people, it involves consensus. PSPOs make it super easy for councils to make laws about their jurisdiction. And in fact, maybe it's too easy. This week on Yeah, But It's Not As Simple As That, can you get arrested for basically doing nothing at all? So we're going to hear from three different people, all of whom have got quite different perspectives on this issue. Lindsay Cordray-Bruce, she's at a Welsh charity helping homeless communities. Anna Veglio-White, she's the founder of Sister Supporter, a pro-choice charity. She's been getting creative with PSBOs. But first, Aslam Khan. He's the portfolio holder for community safety at Luton Borough Council. Luton, like many areas in the country, is using PSPOs, they say, to take back control of their town centres. And Aslam is the man responsible. Oh, and also Mark Wilding, who's written a lot about this stuff on Vice.com. He's basically done most of the work on this one. Thanks, Mark. Well, as you may be aware that antisocial behaviour is an issue nationwide, and in particular we also see that in and around town centre um, there are people um, who may be uh, sitting there in groups and drinking alcohol or throwing litter on the streets um, or having dogs without a lead, um, not clearing dog file after uh, the dog had, had a poo. And you also have people who are bagging and, and there may be an element of, of organised bagging going on at this time in a moment, which is creating environmental issues, is stopping people coming into the town, families don't feel safe going into the town. And even uh, for us, as we're trying to invest and grow our town, a lot of people from outside, when they come and visit, the negative perception sometimes may restrict them either to move or invest or, or to come to live in uh, and learn in Luton. So our strategy is by having these powers that will enable us to address some of these issues. We did an extensive uh, survey uh, and bagging, urinating, spitting, uh, throwing litter 
and, and dogs without lead. These were the concerns raised by uh, public. So it's well evidence-based. Um, and, you know, even talking to the police, talking to other organizations and the businesses within the town center. So we, we did sort of consult quite thoroughly, talk to various different partners, and then sort of reached a conclusion that these were our top priorities. Did you consider any other options for tackling uh, antisocial behavior before landing on the PSPO? Well, I mean, we, we've been trying. We've got a range of activities. We actually um, do work with public health. We work with NOAA, which is a voluntary organization, again, drug and alcohol service, trying to educate people and make them aware. Sometimes there may be cultural issues. Um, sometimes there may be a level of addiction. And we certainly have, you know, really good drug and alcohol services where we can signpost people. But, you know, there are uh, some people who are persistent and may not either give up their alcohol or would not move. And in those cases, uh, we feel that having these powers will be in a better place to address these issues. The last thing we want is to convict anyone or to um, enforce a fine. Uh, the first option is obviously to work with that individual, to educate them, to empower them and show them uh, a different way of life. And even for, for our public, when it comes to begging, we're trying to educate people to give alternatively to other organisations where some of these beggars can have shelter, can have food and can get an, uh, a suitable accommodation. So, you know, this would be the last resort, the last thing we we want is someone um, to be implicated financially or end up, you know, in a court. And um, you spoke there about using the PSPO to tackle begging. That's uh, you'll be aware that's been a controversial area in other parts of the country where this has been introduced. I mean, how difficult a decision was it for you to decide that the PSPO was to be used uh, for that particular activity? Well, we haven't quite included that. And like you said, it's quite a contentious issue and it's a quite a sensitive issue. We know that at this time and moment, people are, you know, financially uh, stretched um, or probably don't have a roof over their head um, and you know we haven't quite included that yet that's we're still sort of uh, you know having in-depth discussion uh, with our partners as well as uh, members of the public and and the scrutiny and really looking at how we can address that but putting that aside certainly dog fowl throwing litter urinating spitting and drinking alcohol these are our top priorities there's a level of begging if, if it's an organised uh, criminal activity and certainly that can be assessed by the uh, PSP officers as well as the police and perhaps taking an action on that. But if someone genuinely is broke and doesn't have money and, you know, is out on the street and, you know, we have outreach teams where, you know, they can help and support them, we'll, we'll try that method first and then see, you know, how successful we are and then we can review that at a later stage. What are your hopes for the public space protection order and how it might improve life for the residents of, uh, of Luton? Certainly it will help to engage people, educate people, empower people and at the same time uh, for those repeated offenders change behaviour. So uh, what we want to do is to improve the civic pride, improve the image of Luton in a positive way. We want the town centre to be seen as safe uh, to come and visit and to shop uh, but at the same time address the wider terminal health impacts that he has on individuals and as well as the environment so you know uh, we, we we see that this will help us to achieve those goals Aslam Khan there and you might be surprised 
to hear him talking so openly and so positively about using PSPOs, but across council websites, police websites, there isn't really a debate here. PSPOs are seen by those who use them as a good thing, and the civil liberties issues never really arise. The next story we're going to hear is from Lindsay Cordroy-Bruce, the chief executive at The Wallach, a Welsh charity helping homeless communities. Because she's working with homeless people every day, she really sees the other side of this debate, how PSPOs are being used to arrest homeless people. In Newport alone, we see about 370 people annually, and that has been a 77% increase since 2016. The people that we support are telling us that they've been targeted, mainly targeting uh, things like street drinking, um, if anybody was uh, touting for donations, um, aggressive begging, uh, not having a dog on a lead, for example, um, all of which touch the people that we support in some way. Um, what's being proposed since then is whether there should just be a blanket ban on all begging. This is difficult for the people that we support because essentially we're, we're saying that somebody could be criminalised for sitting down in a public place. What we find is that when people are in a position where they're begging, or even if they're not begging, they're just receiving passive donations from people walking by, they're doing that because they have absolutely no money, they have absolutely no resources. If they are then arrested and then fined, they can't pay that fine because they don't have any money. But what the guys are telling us is that um, some of them have had alcohol confiscated, which has implications if they're managing withdrawals and, and things like that, even if it's not open and people are having their alcohol taken. People are being asked to um, move on if they're considered to be touting for donations. And there's only really been arrests if they've refused. And um, that's what the, the people on the ground are telling us. And the, the dogs on a lead thing, people have been warned and then that's kind of solved the problem. So we're, we're getting mixed reports, really. Some people are, are being moved moved around the city and some people... They're just going straight back to where they were. So it's it's just going to further the exclusion of people. It's going to put more barriers in place for them to work themselves out of their situation. The last thing somebody needs is a criminal record on top of all the other things like mental health and substance misuse and, and other barriers and exclusions um, that they're having to deal with every day. So what, what this is doing is actually worsening the problem. It's it's meaning that we can't reach the people that, that we need to support. It's meaning that people are less able to improve things for themselves. Ashford, swearing. Bassett Law, under-16s gathering in groups of three or more. Bexley, riding bikes and skateboarding. Blaby, gathering in groups of four or more. Burnley, under-16s out between 11pm and 5am. East Devon, feeding seagulls. Hammersmith and Fulham, amplified music. Havering, dropping off or picking up kids outside schools. Hillingdon, 
gathering in groups of two or more. Kettering, under-18s out between 11pm and 6am. Lancaster, standing in groups of two or more. Tunbridge and Marling, barbecues. Tor Bay, catching more than 20 mackerel in 24 hours. The terminology that's used in the PSPO guidance is so vague, there is a risk that that could be open to misinterpretation and there is a risk that that could be open to potential abuse. For example, what is aggressive begging? There's been some cases in England where the, the terminology has been around causing a persistent annoyance. Well, what does that actually mean? Could I ask a local authority to impose a ban on people eating noisily in public in that case? I'm, I'm not being um, sort of flippant about this. But just sort of highlighting just where this could possibly end, really. And if somebody is carrying alcohol in a closed container, that isn't a crime and homelessness isn't a crime. And sitting down in a public place isn't a crime. Um, so where, where does this stop, I think, is the, is the question. There's no evidence of effectiveness either way, really, at the moment. Um, I'm pleased that they've gone out to consultation. It's good to get other views on this. But it, it remains to be seen whether they, they receive the outcomes that they wanted to achieve. What I think is going to happen is that this problem will just be moved to other areas of the town where they're further away from services, they become further excluded and ultimately homelessness worsens. There's so much focus on this issue at the moment, it's so topical. And that's because typically we're seeing such a massive increase in people who are rough sleeping at the moment. And so I, I can see why councils would want to act. Um, and I think there's a, an appetite there to just try whatever might work to and help engage this client group and, and to, to improve the, the situation. That's Lindsay Cordray-Bruce, the Chief Executive at The Wallish. So what do we know so far? Well, I guess you're kind of getting an idea of what PSPOs are now. They're used by around half of councils in Britain. They're being used to stop behaviour which some people see as being antisocial. And one in ten councils have used them to target the homeless and these measures have been extremely controversial. But is there a good way to use PSPOs? Is there any kind of situation in which you might want a council to be able to move people on? In the early days we were more trying to be a kind of supportive presence for the women but not approaching them, kind of being a complete juxtaposition to the the judgement that they felt from people from the anti-choice site. Let me introduce you to Anna Veglio-White. She's the founder of Sister Supporter, a pro-life charity. She's using the legislation to fight for something that she and her organisation believe in, the right to choose whether you have an abortion. We invited all the counsellors to come down and one day when one of the ward counsellors came down, this woman was saying how she'd walked up that road with her son who has quite severe autism and the images, these weird kind of distorted images of supposed foetuses in the wombs had caused him so much distress that he'd had to have therapy and it's kind of stuff like that they don't think about because it's not something that you're expecting to see out on the street kind of doll, plastic foetus dolls and images and stuff like that and we also hear quite a lot of stories of people who've been walking past and they've seen someone across the road crying because they've been told that wasn't the clinic and they've missed their appointment 
And apparently the councils get a lot of calls from people kind of who live opposite, who are in their house, and then they see people physically blocking the gate and stuff like that. And this is something that had been going on for more than two decades, is that right? Yeah, 23 years. It's escalated in its frequency and also its aggression. But I think that's largely because their kind of presence has been unchallenged for this time. So they've grown in confidence. And as the pro-life movement, especially in the States, has grown, you know, they're all, all the groups are kind of interlinked. So they kind of have been evolving together. And, you know, the police have never done anything about it. So they felt like they've been acting within the law. And what have been the knock-on effects for potential users of the, uh, the clinic, you know, for the women who are, are trying to go there and finding themselves harassed on their way in and out? It's awful for them. For many people, it's already going to be a really emotionally traumatic day for many different reasons. And I think having your privacy violated so unceremoniously when you're trying to access a legal health service is going to add so much more emotional stress than is needed. And some people just don't walk in. They'll walk past and they'll call the receptionist to walk, to come out and get them. Or they just won't go in and then they'll go to a different clinic because it's kind of a postcode lottery at the moment, whether there's going to be someone outside or not and also what kind of day it is and stuff like that. If you get an appointment, appointment during 40 Days for Life, pretty much most clinics are going to have a huge presence outside. So, And obviously it's a time issue. You can't wait too long. So you're just going to have to run the gauntlet. I think... In sort of like the best case scenario, you're going to be upset and annoyed. But in the worst case scenario, we've had people message us saying they've had kind of PTSD. And also sometimes really vulnerable people who are either illegal immigrants or they might be in an abusive relationship or homeless. They'll get kind of coerced into going to these really odd women's centres where they play you those videos that tell you you'll never have kids again if you have an abortion and stuff like that. And then they never make it into the clinic and then they don't get referred to services they're going to need. So they don't get referred to housing services or benefit services. So they get completely lost. And so first of all, you're providing support for people who are visiting the clinic. But when did the idea of a buffer zone first get proposed? It was actually kind of really early on. We joined the Be Pass Back Off campaign. So there was a huge petition for that. And we helped get that petition get to 10,000 signatures quite quickly. Um, that was for national buffer zones. But you only have three months to get 100,000 signatures for it then to be debated in Parliament. And we didn't hit that. So then we kind of stopped focusing nationally and kind of tried to turn our campaign more local. I think that was massively our strength. It's all local people who founded the campaign and who've worked in it. Um, and then we sought legal advice and the barrister said we should go for a PSPO. And then kind of from there, that's where we focused our attention. And so it was your local focus that first led to a PSPO being considered then? Absolutely. Richmond, actually, I think a few years before us, there was a similar group set up called Reclaim Roslyn Road and they petitioned for a buffer zone outside the clinic, which had just failed when it got to council almost instantly because they were asking the council to change national legislation. So we were kind of wary of what had happened there. And it was kind of clear to us that it had to be powers that the local council had. And we focus it as a local issue, even though it is obviously a national issue. And what did your solicitor tell you about a PSPO and how it could be used back then? She basically said, I think this is the most appropriate law that you could use. Sometimes it is misused, but I think this could actually be the best use of it since it's come out. I think it was in 2014. Um, she was like, the criteria is that its behaviours are being engaged in regularly and they're going to have an, they're having a negative impact on residents and people in the area, which absolutely fits what's going on in Ealing because there's anti-choice vigils six days a week, and it is massively impacting people who are visiting the area to use the clinic and people who live in the area. It kind of seemed like the perfect piece of legislation to us, and she kind of agreed. And it's a temporary measure, but 
she thought, well, we're kind of fighting the national fight. This is a great interim tool for us to use. And why was it felt that uh, sort of existing legislation around harassment uh, wouldn't be suitable for tackling this kind of behaviour? I think this is the main thing with this whole issue. The police come at it with either harassment laws or protest laws, and it's not a protest. The people there will say themselves they're not protesting, and it doesn't fall under kind of a normal protest. So they, that kind of doesn't apply. And then harassment... It has to be the person who's being harassed, so a partner or family member can't give the statement to the police. And also it needs to happen at least twice to the same individual. And most people using that clinic are going once. So we see a lot of partners trying to call the police and then their partners don't want them to call the police, they just want to get it over with. And also if you've gone through a termination, you're not then going to sit in a police office for five hours giving a witness statement when you might be bleeding out or, you know, suffering other complications or you just want to go home. And your anonymity has already been breached massively by a stranger at the gate telling you you shouldn't go through with it. So I think to then face going to talk to like a random police officer, it's just not realistic. And were you hearing from the police that they didn't have the powers to tackle the uh, the harassment outside the clinic? Yeah, I mean, every police officer tells us something different, but the common phrase is, it's a grey area. And, you know, a lot of police officers feel very frustrated that they don't have the tools to deal with the situation um, currently. Um, and I think that's just general confusion. We've asked them for a policy. They don't have a policy on how to deal with this, but it affects over 100 clinics in the UK. So it is ma- it's a massive issue. You're now campaigning for PSPOs, which will create buffer zones around clinics all over the country. So tell me a bit about how uh, this is spreading nationwide. Yes, we already have nine councils now who are in the process of considering and consulting on public spaces protection orders. But we think of PSPOs as like an interim measure. So we're trying to get as many councils as possible to kind of consider it and implement it to demonstrate to the government that we need national legislation. Um, PSPOs only last for three years, so it's not ideal. It's not something that, you know, local councils are going to want to have to keep going through the process of renewing. Um, but, we, yeah, we have nine councils now, so that's uh, seven in London, then one in Bournemouth and one in Manchester. Um, so they're kind of in different stages. And what we did is we kind of knew that if it went through an ealing, <coughs> um there would be a displacement thing. I don't think they're going to stay 200 metres down the road or whatever. They're going to go to different clinics. So while we were going through the process of eating, we are trying to reach out to different areas where we knew their problems and trying to get them to start a local group or engage councillors so that they could start their process for a PSPO because what we didn't want is it to become like even more of a postcode lottery that some places have a PSPO and some places don't. Um, so that's been really successful and kind of... The situation Ealing led to Amber Rudge calling a national review, which they're in the process of. So things happened a lot quicker than we expected, which I think shows the appetite for something to be something to be done. So from your point of view, a PSPO is more like a stepping stone towards the national legislation that you'd like to see to protect women visiting these clinics. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think after three years, they would just come back. So it's something that definitely needs to be within our law. And when you were considering a PSPO or when you were talking to the council about introducing one, were you aware of the kind of criticism there has been around similar sort of, uh, legislation uh, around PSPOs used by other councils in areas such yeah. as like homelessness or antisocial behaviour? Yeah, massively. I think when we were talking to residents, the most initial reaction is sign of like, oh, that piece of legislation. But there is actually, interestingly, a PSPO kind of 200 metres down the road in the park in Ealing um, to tackle kind of drug taking and drinking. And it's not been that successful. There's been an issue with displacement because people have just started drinking kind of slightly outside and it's the police have struggled to enforce it there. But the thing with this, this situation is displacement is not the issue because if they're 200 metres down the road, then they can't tell who's going out of the clinic and then that's kind of exactly what we want. Um, and I think the actual legislation itself isn't the problem. It's the way councils are interpreting it. 
I think there sh- there is there should be something there should be kind of a law in place where councils can tackle issues that affect them locally and not have to go through national legislation but when they're using it for rough sleeping and stuff that's a massive misuse of it but we've well I guess the great thing is people have been like this is the first time we think it's being used for something that's actually good and worthwhile and in your case you had a petition that showed a huge amount of local support so would you like to see if councils are considering PSBOs elsewhere that there is some kind of way of seeing that the, the local community supports these kind of things yeah, well, with PSPOs, there's a statutory consultation that's public. So that's the way they gauge it, which I think is really important. Um, and you can access that online or you can write in any way. And it's eight weeks, the consultation. And I absolutely think that they shouldn't be allowed to do it without that, because that's really important. And, and all the councils will have to do that if they want to put in a PSPO. I wonder what kind of feedback you had from the women that you've been working with, you know, who might have visited the clinic yeah. or, or from the clinic itself about, you know, what impact this PSPO is going to have on them. The main thing we hear is just like, thank you. And I wish that had happened sooner when I used the clinic, which is kind of heartbreaking because you kind of see the massive effect it has on people who use the clinic, like even 10 or 20 years ago who kind of feel okay to come and stand with us now. But just like I basically, it's great what you've done and we wish it had happened sooner. And where do you go from here? You talked about, um, you know, hoping for national legislation. You're going to work with other groups. So, you know, what does the uh, the next few months hold for uh, for you and Sister Supporter? Yeah, well, we're hoping to kind of get to this point with Amber Rod's review where national legislation comes in. And then we work with a great group called London Irish Abortion Rights Campaign. So they work in Northern Ireland and in the Republic of Ireland. So I think that's our next focus, to get women in Northern Ireland the same rights that we have in the UK. Thanks very much to Anna. But you can see how this is a complicated issue. On the one hand, you're probably thinking that these kind of orders are an infringement of civil liberties. They do give a lot of power to local councils and they're being used in ways that demonize the homeless, which obviously if you're a kind of vice reader, you probably think is a bad thing. And they're stopping children skateboard in town centers, which you probably think is a really, really bad thing. But the issue of protesters outside abortion centres highlights the complexities here because these laws are malleable and they can be used to suit different groups' agendas. When it's your politics that's become threatened, it's quite easy to want to reach for a law like this to stop groups that you don't like getting involved. Now, obviously, it's complicated further by the fact that people going to get an abortion are very vulnerable. There's lots of other issues at play here. And Anna is obviously trying to use this as a stepping stone to get to wider national legislation. But the point remains that when it's so easy for a council to pass a PSPO like this with very little oversight, any group can use them to their own ends. And that creates quite a dangerous lottery. You know, if you can believe that people shouldn't be harassed when getting a medical treatment, but you can also want consistency across the law so that everyone in that situation gets treated the same. I mean, you probably just heard a bike going past making a bit of a racket. In some councils, the rider of that bike would be breaking a PSPO.
Thanks again to Mark Wilding and thanks to all of those who got involved in the pod, Aslam Khan, Lindsay Cordry-Bruce and Anna Veglio-White. Yeah, but it's not as simple as that. It was produced by Sam Bonham, who is trying his best to get a PSPO, but is just being too polite and quiet about it, editing a podcast in a public park. My name is Sam Wolfson. I'll see you soon.